0: So today we are we are continuing our series on the Lord's Prayer. We're continuing looking at the most important prayer in history, the prayer that defines, in some ways, our whole walk with God and can sum it up. A prayer that Jesus taught us how to pray, the Lord's Prayer. And we've been looking at this for several weeks since the beginning of the year, and this is the final talk in that series. Um, so today we're going to be looking at a part of the prayer that is perhaps a little bit controversial. Um, perhaps it's it shouldn't really be there even. But um, but we also, uh, when we start looking at the text of it, and looking at the truths that are within it, uh, we find that it is, in fact, essential for our prayer lives. But firstly, before we do that, I'm going to tell you a little story about 2015. So it was a quite the cold and wet summer I don't know if any of you remember it. It was um, particularly forgettable in terms of summer holidays, especially in the UK, which is what I was doing that year. But also in, in the middle of August in 2015, the American television network NBC took a little bit of a risk. In fact, it wasn't just a little risk. It was a big risk if you're a TV company. So they announced that they had ordered a 13-episode TV series without a title and without even a pilot um, based purely on one pitch by one writer, which is a big deal for a a television network. They didn't order just a pilot, they ordered the entire series. uh, A pitch by Michael Schur, who's a writer on the American version of The Office. So about four months later, they pressed ahead with this project, and they announced their first casting. They were going to bring Ted Danson into the project, um, and also Kristen Bell, who is known uh, mostly, uh, especially in the UK, as the voice of Anna in Frozen. So, the show ended up premiering the following year on September 19th and was so successful that NBC renewed it for another three seasons and eventually sold it to Netflix in the UK. And the final extended episode aired on January 30th this year, just a few weeks ago. I don't know if any of you know which show I'm talking about. Um, It is called, hopefully, The Good Place. Who has seen this show? Anyone? A few people. It's a really interesting show. Uh, I've watched the whole thing now, we finished it a week or two ago. It is a comedy about the afterlife. It starts, surprisingly, with the death of all of its main characters, which is kind of interesting. And and basically, that's the beginning of the first episode, and then it follows their journey after that, meandering through Uh, their experience of this uh, idea of the afterlife as presented by the show, taking in and taking time to examine lots of different ethical questions and ethical systems. It draws on St Thomas Aquinas Aquinas, and uh, Manuel Kant and many, many other types of ethical questions, including whether a points system of, of good or bad deeds is the best way of judging whether a person should get into the good place or the bad place after they die. Interesting, isn't it? Now, I won't spoil the show. It's, it's an interesting watch, and it's a fun watch, and I recommend it to you because it's, it's funny and it's got a lot of ideas. But I do believe, even up to and through the very end of the show, it completely misses the point. It misses a huge part of the puzzle about the afterlife. And the reason that it does that is because the person of God is entirely absent from the show. And that was deliberate, and that was what they were going for, and that's fine, but that misses the point about the afterlife completely. If you take God out of the picture, it is a little bit like taking God off the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, like this. Who is the focus if we remove God from the Sistine Chapel? Us. We, as humans, are the focus. And this is the inevitable direction that the show takes. It purely focuses on the characters, their ethical dilemmas, their own good deeds, their own choices, what they should do, what they shouldn't do. Um, Removing God from the picture means that we inevitably fall back on our own abilities and our own deeds. It is about us and who we are, and we miss the power of Jesus. We miss the power of his Sacrifice his deeds in our life, but because life in Jesus isn't about what we do, it is about what he has already done. It is a grand offer, it is a love story, and we are not in the title role. He is in the title role. His is the kingdom, his is the power, and his is the glory forever and ever. Amen. This changes everything about how we see life, about how we see the afterlife. It is a fundamental shift in perspective. And it's pretty unique to us as Christians in terms of the way that we try and follow Jesus. It's not about our own deeds. It's about what Jesus has already done. So today we are looking at this little coda to the Lord's Prayer that perhaps shouldn't even really be there, but I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. So we're going to look at the final verse of this incredible prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and amen. Now, if you look at this, you find that um, there's considerable debate about whether this was actually part of the original prayer. This particular piece of scripture is taken from Codex Washingtonesis from about the 4th or 5th century. The Lord's Prayer is underlined in red. And the little coda, uh, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory is added there in blue. You can see that it is there even in the fourth or the fifth century coppers of the manuscripts. But the more you look into it, the less is clear. The text of the New Testament that we uh, normally these days hold on our phones, but in your hand, uh, is based on two different strands of manuscripts when you look really, really far back. One family is called the Alexandrian family of manuscripts and the other is called the Byzantine family of manuscripts. 99% of the content of both those families of manuscripts agrees on what is in the New Testament. There are a very few places in which they disagree. This verse is one of those places. So that's why it's so difficult to figure out whether it should be there or not. The... um the first version of this doxology is found in something called the Didash, which was a set of, it's almost like a Christian handbook that was written in about AD 90, or thereabouts. It's really, really early. You know, the Apostle John would possibly have been alive when this was written and we have a copy of it. Um, so it, do, it is in that as a prayer to pray and as part of this prayer to pray. So, um, so that's kind of the earliest version we've got of it. There are other commentaries that are written on Matthew that come from a very, very early uh, that have actually included Um, this particular piece of the Bible in them. But many, many commentaries around the same time exclude it. So we've really no idea whether or not it should be there. And therefore, most modern translations of the Bible include it, but only as a footnote. If you look at the Bible, it says, deliver us from evil. And then there's a little, some later manuscripts say, thine is the kingdom, power and the glory. But um, ultimately, it doesn't really matter um, because... Even if it's not supposed to be there, it could have been borrowed, for example, from Chronicles. Uh, this is 1 Chronicles 29:11. 11. Um, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Um, yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You can see it's very, very similar. It could have been borrowed from this Old Testament text. But like I said, it doesn't really matter because it is still true. And it, the claims that it makes runs throughout the Bible. This is just one example of it. Now, it could, could have been added by mistake. It could have been because an early scribe thought it would be a good idea to include it. We're not really sure. But recognising this as truth is still something that we can do, irrespective of whether or not it should have been in one of the ancient texts. Um, because the, the claims it makes that Jesus is, or, or um, God our fathers, uh, has the kingdom, has the power, and has the glory forever, are indisputable in the Bible. So I'm going to lay that one to rest now. We're going to look at it anyway, because it's important. So what does this mean? Recognising this as truth for us today is, is and and bringing it into the core of our prayer life and the core of who we are is our goal Um, it is a life's work to do that to really do that to really understand what it means to know that his is the kingdom his is the power and his is the glory so let's dive in what does it mean to think about these things let's unpack them slightly firstly his is the kingdom he is in control of history. Fundamentally, the meta-narrative of the Bible, which is a fancy word for saying the big story of the Bible, the overall story arc um, of the Bible is about the establishment of God's kingdom over his creation for his glory. And despite the devil's counterattacks, nothing can and nothing will stop it. That is the fundamental story of the Bible. For just one example of the supremacy of God's rule and the supremacy of God's kingdom, we can look at Psalm 2, verses 1 to 6. This is one of my favourites, I love this. Um, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and their rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. What does God do? He laughs. It's so ridiculous to him that the kingdoms of the world could even think about or conceive standing against his kingdom by saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. There are many, many examples through the Bible about God talking about the supremacy and the ultimate um, power and the ultimate reign of his kingdom that has been and will continue to be established. If you look, do a study of history and uh, there's an excellent book uh, called The Biblical Meta-Narrative by Bill Jackson uh, who talks about how uh, the the kingdom has been Forcefully advancing in Jesus's words uh, throughout history, he he looks at and examines how God's interactions with civilizations at different times and in different ways perfectly manages the expansion of human civilization as a vehicle for His promises, His purposes, and His plans. It's fascinating, and you can see how He picked particular people at particular times in order to spread um, news and. and understanding about his character. So you can see how he picked Abraham um, and then allowed him to migrate from a particular area. You can see how he then uh, chose the nation of Israel and established them uh, as a blessing to the nations. And, and with all the difficulties and trials that they went through, uh, you can then see how he used the Babylonian and the Assyrian exile in order to establish the kingdom and understanding of him um, with king, the kings of Assyria. Um, and then later on, you can see when the Alexandrian, Alexander the Great and the Egyptians rose uh, in the sort of between testaments period, you can see again how the Jews were then scattered throughout the civilised world at that point, bringing an understanding of who God was To every community of the ancient world. And then when the Roman Empire came, um, they provided infrastructure and the ability to travel fast and and to spread news between different areas with all of these different pockets of understanding. And then in the midst of all of that, Jesus is born, spreads his message. And because everybody was in Jerusalem from all of those different places, it was a perfect time to kickstart the message of the kingdom and then spread that out so fast throughout the whole of the known world. Later on, you can see through very, very imperfect actions by many European colonialists brought um, the message of Jesus throughout the whole of the known world. Now, I'm not um, saying colonialism is good, but you can see how God used um, the actions of some secular institutions and organisations to bring the good news of Jesus to many parts of the world um, who are now coming back and evangelising us. Uh, we had a trip uh, from some Korean missionaries that came to us about four or five years ago, I think it was, um, and they were coming specifically to the UK in order to bless us because we had brought the message of the gospel to uh, the Koreans uh, about 100 years ago and they had martyred us for it but then they had also found Jesus in the midst of that and they were coming back to pray for us but also to say thank you. It was a very humbling experience meeting and talking with some of those um, those missionaries coming back to us. So, God has always used the deep, deep imperfections of our human history and all of the the crimes and the problems that we have caused in order to advance His message. Um, no matter how much adversity and difficulty and uh, things that come in the way of his mission, nothing has ever stopped the move of the kingdom. There are now billions of people on this planet, more Christians alive today than have ever lived, who claim that Jesus is Lord and worship him weekly. There's nothing that can stop this. I believe in the West, uh, the enemy is now trying to stop this message, this kingdom, with complacency and with ridicule. Uh, but it's not going to happen because we can see that through history. Jesus has overcome and he will continue to overcome because his is the kingdom. So Lord, we thank you that you are in control of history. Yours is the kingdom, Lord. Yours is the kingdom. Secondly, God's is the power. God is in control of history, but he is also strong. And this is important, especially at the moment. This is a scary time for people. Uh, you know, last week we had, we began the week with panic buying of toilet roll, of all things, and people were, we were kind of ridiculing it and saying this is ridiculous. And there were cartoons in the paper saying, oh, I'm just going to go out because loads of idiots are panic buying toilet rolls, so there may not be any left, so I'm going to go and do that too. <laughs> you know, but, but ultimately now, this morning we hear the army might have to be called in to protect supermarkets. It became an object of ridicule to a kind of, Okay, this is getting a little bit real now. What does this actually mean? Um, It is unnerving, and there is uh, nervousness, and that is an understandable feeling. Okay. I mean, I work in the film business, I, uh, last week was, was horrendous for us because we, our job is to predict what films are going to make when they come out. Um, almost every major film moved back six months last week, which is really challenging for us. And then a whole bunch of cinemas around the world closed. And we were like, well, we, we have no clue how much they're going to make because we're not sure if they're even going to be open. So trying to, we were having customers calling us saying, we don't know what to do, please help us. We, we don't know what's going on, we don't know what's even open Um, at the moment. So these are major film executives just having no clue about what's going on. So um, many small cinemas that we're in touch with and who some of them who are our customers may go out of business because people just aren't going to the cinema. This is an unnerving time for many, many people, especially people who work in industries that will be particularly hit hard by this, like the travel industry. Just talking to some people even today about that. Um, It's a challenge at the moment. In times like this, it's really important for us as believers to remember what we have and who we serve, that he is the one with the power. He is the one with the power. He is our strong refuge. He is in control and he is our strong refuge. The best thing to do at this point, I think, is to go back to the Psalms. If I can go to the next slide. There we go. There are many, many psalms that we can pray through to remember the promises of God. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shallow of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys it at midday. And it goes on. Even just the words of Jesus here: um, in this world, you will have trouble. Never forget that this is this is our lot. This is what we were. This is what we signed up for. But He has overcome the world. John sixteen thirty three. We know, Lord, that you have the power. Yours is the power. You are our refuge. You are our ever present hope in time of trouble. You have overcome the world, Lord. We know this to be true. Help us to remember that, especially at this time, Lord. And help us to remember that we are a beacon of hope and that we have so much that we can share. Thirdly, his is the glory. As I said about that TV show, The Good Place, when you remove Jesus and his sacrifice from the afterlife, you fundamentally miss the point about who has the glory. It's not about us it's about him. Let's just briefly look at Revelation 1. Uh, This is an eyewitness account of someone who saw a vision of God, who was a dear friend of Jesus in in the physical world. Um, And then he saw him in his glorified state. And this is what he said. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white as wool, as white as snow and his eyes were like blazing fire his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters in his right hand he held a seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword I've no idea what that means but there we go it's interesting his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead do you think John has any sort of inkling of the fact that that it's about him anymore (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who it's about at this point. Then Jesus, this is who he was, placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So often, this is kind of our attitude about our lives, isn't it? We're the hero. We're the hero of our own story. Um, and certainly, we start with this idea um in our lives just from small children that you know are fundamentally uh, we love them but they're quite self-centered and um everything's really about them and that's natural and, and normal and then as they grow up they become hopefully less like that and um, learn learn more about uh, the wider world and how it's more about um, other people and, and not just them. And And people go through various stages of that journey. And even when we find faith in Jesus, sometimes we say, oh yeah, God is really at the centre of my life. You know, I want God to be at the centre of my life. That's what I'm going for. Um, but even that's imperfect because that's still about us. It's not about God being the centre of um, my life is actually what we really we want to get to is that Jesus. Uh, we are at the centre of His life. It's not that uh, He becomes the centre of our lives. We suddenly realise it's not about us at all, and we are really joining in with a great mission rescue plan that has been uh, and a battle that has been raging for millennia in order to uh, for God to advance His own purposes. Ultimately, we realise that He is the hero. His he is the glory. Once we re- realise that we really aren't the centre of our story of our lives, but he is, it is a huge load off, I have to say. <laughs> this is something that I'm still working through, but, but in my better moments, I remember, I, when I remember this is true, oh, it's so freeing <laughs> because we don't have the responsibility of carrying our own lives and our own, even our own deeds so much because it's about focusing on him, because his is the glory. Jesus, we thank you that yours is the glory. We thank you that you have freed us from the tyranny of self, where we don't have time to maintain our regrets when we think about the way that you love us, in the words of that song. So yours is the kingdom, Lord. Yours is the power, and yours is the glory. Thank you, Jesus. So learning to accept this and live this out, as I said before, is a life's work. It's a life's work. Um, I've been a Christian for 35 years or so. I gave my life to Jesus at a a young age. And I feel like I'm a beginner. And I feel like I will always be a beginner. I feel like the the more I do this, the less I know, but the more I want to know more, you know. And um, we can always learn more about this. Um, So firstly I just want to talk uh, generally about how we can learn to live like this as if this was true and then we have one particular specific way that we haven't talked about yet to do with prayer that is a way that we can start uh, experiencing this more fully. So we've talked uh, a number of times over the last couple of months about apprenticing ourselves to Jesus and what that fundamentally means is that we be with Jesus, we become like Jesus and we do what Jesus did. Some very, very helpful words from a uh, pastor from Portland in America called John Mark Comer. Now, this is, sounds great and it sounds very simple and accessible and it is and it's fantastic. However, if we don't think this through, um, sometimes it can feel a little bit like this. Okay, so on Sundays we're with Jesus, then we try very, very hard during the rest of the week to become like Jesus and then we gradually get on with doing what he did because we feel like we have to, right? This doesn't work. Okay, I've tried this, I've tried living like this and many people, other, other people have done this. So the crucial thing, um, the, the key problem actually is the middle line here, um, try very hard to become like Jesus. It, it just doesn't work, we can't do it uh, because we cannot fundamentally become like Jesus ourselves because if we fail, we feel guilty, right? That's obvious. However, if we succeed, we become proud. So we can't win, there's no way of doing it and it's pointless trying to do that. Um, a much, much better way of doing this um, is the following. Make ourselves be with Jesus. It does require some effort and there are ways that we can do that. Um, but then whilst we are with Jesus, allow ourselves to become like him, allow him to transform us so that we are like him, so that His he has the glory, not us. And then find ourselves naturally doing what Jesus did without any effort or any worry. Now, it's never quite as simple as that, but that is a fundamental blueprint of how we can be like Jesus and become uh, like Jesus and then find ourselves doing what he did. Now, how do we then be with Jesus? If that is the fundamental place we start, what do we do? There are things that we can do. They do involve concrete action. And we've talked about many of these different techniques and tools for being with Jesus that allow ourselves to place him before us so that he can transform us. And they are often known as spiritual disciplines. Okay, so they're, so many, very, very simply, they are spending time with him in prayer, uh, spending time studying the Bible and reading the Bible and trying to understand what it means. Fasting, um, meditation, which is one we're going to talk about in a minute. There's many, many other ways. There's many ways of spending time with him. Worship, spending time in community with other people. Um, service, um, as long as you're doing it out of a place of love. Um, many ways that you can do that. Um, So by allowing ourselves to become naturally like him, we will find ourselves naturally doing what he did. So let's look at one specific way that we can do that um, just as we close. Um, And that's the discipline, as it's called sometimes, of contemplation, um, sometimes called meditation. Um, So this is a little bit like prayer, but also fundamentally different uh, from the way that many people pray. This is a prayer, but without words. Okay, this is a chance to spend time with God in silence. We might uh, just think through an, um, a simple verse from the Bible or maybe something in nature. Maybe we we'll go for a short walk or we just sit quietly. Um, but if we're reading the Bible, it's important to say that this is not, uh, this is not an in-depth study and are trying to use our brains to, to reason about the text. Um, this is not astronomy, this is stargazing okay, uh, piece Greg's words, uh, use use this to uh, to take in the majesty of God rather than to figure out exactly what the Greek means. That's not what we're doing in this case. Um, and also to be clear, this isn't the idea of um, any new age spirituality or Eastern meditation creeping into or infiltrating Christianity or anything like that. This is an ancient practice and it's biblical. It's been part of the Bible forever. Even um, Psalm 46, the one I read a, a uh, a starting point from earlier, says, be still and know that I am God. This is a a, uh, a fundamental practice of the church and of people of God throughout the ages. This is a picture of a lady called Teresa of Avila who was born 505 years ago, okay? And she was talking about it. Um, contemplative prayer, in my opinion, is nothing else than a close sharing between friends, taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. This idea of spending time with him. We are not emptying our minds to, to allow unknown spiritual forces to work in us. What we are doing is we are filling them with God. We are filling them with his presence and with his love and with his majesty, with his grace. All of the things about him uh, that, we to, that we want to know more of. So this is, not, uh, this is not a dangerous practice. This is a biblical life-giving practice. Okay, that's very important. I love this contemporary example of Mother Teresa, um, who was once asked. I don't know if you've heard this story, it's a great story, uh, by a CBS interviewer um, from US Network News uh, what she said to God when she prayed. This is a, uh, an interesting question. And she replied, I don't say very much. Uh, mostly I just listen. Um, so, taken slightly aback by this, the, uh, the interviewer then said, Well, what does God say to you then, he said. And she then replied, well, he doesn't say very much normally. She said, mostly he just listens. (laughs) And then after a few moments um, of him just not quite knowing what to say, she then said, and if you don't understand that, then I cannot explain it to you. Which is fascinating. Idea and understanding of contemplative prayer. The act of just sitting quietly with God. So how do we practice this? How do we do this? Um, well, the first thing is to get into the right zone, the right frame of mind. Sitting quietly, going for a walk, finding something that we can um, to think about, finding something that we can focus on. Now we tend to go through different stages and, and uh, if you haven't already watched the prayer course video, I think it's session six from Pete Gregg, he goes into much more detail about this. It's only 20 minutes long and I'd strongly recommend it to you. But it, it, very briefly, he starts with the phrase, it, it's just us and God. So so it's it's about us trying to get into the zone mostly. So we sit there and we kind of think, oh, I'm, I've got to go and turn the stove off and I haven't had enough coffee today, but I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this thing. I'm um, making ourselves be with God, remember that. Now after a little while... Uh, then it becomes a little bit more, not just us and God, but then God and us. So you start, God starts taking center stage of our thoughts. Now it's hard to get to that point because often our thoughts are all over the place. But if we concentrate and we keep bringing it back to him and we practice, it becomes about God and us. We are sitting there with him. And then sometimes, uh, not all the time, but sometimes it just then moves on to a third stage where it's just about God and we lose ourselves entirely in who he is. Um, now I'm not saying that this is easy this is hard Um, if you have been uh, doing the Christian mindfulness course uh, or anything like that with Stephen Jeanette or any others um, they do teach techniques for us to help us focus our minds on good things not just unfocus them but focus them on good things Um, and that can help but ultimately it's about practice we just need to sit with God in silence and allow him to change us and and grow us right Um, so Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. A controversial end to an incredible prayer uh, that nonetheless is absolutely biblical, is absolutely true, and something that we can internalize and understand. That is a life's work to do so. One of those ways, it's such an amazing, awesome truth, and I've spent maybe only 15 minutes unpacking it, and you could write, you could spend a lifetime unpacking that, and we will. Um, one of the ways to do that is just to sit quietly with God, allow him to teach us about what that means. A little bit like when we were, when I prayed, the reason I prayed at the end of each of those sections is to kind of point out that you can just do this. You can just spend time understanding what he's saying to us. We can spend time doing that. Um, Even just in the midst of whatever we're doing, taking taking a moment to, step back and remembering who he is. There's an excellent little book by a monk called Brother Lawrence from 1666, I think. Uh, so a long time ago, called The Practice of the Presence of God. If you haven't read it, I'd strongly recommend it to you. It's about a a very simple um, monk who... Uh, basically, was a cook. He he spent his entire life uh, cooking in a, in a monastery, and he hated cooking. This was his thing. He really doesn't like didn't like cooking. It's his worst worst possible job he could do. Um, but he spent his entire life just trying to continually remember God in whatever he was doing, and. Uh, his legacy has gone down through centuries because of the the way that he was able to both his, his own character was transformed, but also he was able to bless other people through this practice. So I strongly recommend that to you as well. But, um, the important thing as well is that this doesn't require us to closet ourselves away in a monastery. Contemplation, uh, isn't something necessarily just for us. And it's not just for us to, to kind of withdraw from society. That's not what it's about. If, um, you were to listen to mothers of Teresa and her, uh, monastic order of the Sisters of Charity, uh, they describe themselves as contemplatives in the heart of the world. So especially at the moment when we have so much opportunity to make a difference to the communities around us through practical uh, things that we can do to help people. Um, Let's contemplate God. Let's contemplate yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory as we are dropping Sainsbury's bags or ocado bags at the door of a neighbour who can't go out. As we're phoning someone who's just having a tough time because they haven't seen anyone for a couple of weeks. Whatever it is, let's remember who he is. That he is in control. That he is charged. He he is strong. He is our refuge, and he has the glory. It's all about him ultimately. As we go about our daily lives at the moment together. Should we stand?